Episode 156 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you in part by cloud accounting software FreshBooks, offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial. To claim your free trial, just go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. I have a living laboratory at Brandeis International Business School where I teach, where I have MBAs every year diving into these situations outside their comfort zone, and I get to study their experiences. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever-important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now, here's Jeff. Hi there. Welcome to the podcast. It's dedicated to your personal and professional growth, where we dig into leadership and also things like personal growth, productivity, career, business, marketing, sales, and entrepreneurship. It's the area of personal growth getting the emphasis today as we chat with a gentleman named Andy Malinsky, PhD. He's the author of Reach, a new strategy to help you step outside your comfort zone Rise to the Challenge and Build Confidence. I love this book. And I'm going to be asking Andy about the five core psychological barriers that we often face when trying to act outside our comfort zones, the inevitable pitfalls we face when we consistently avoid ever confronting our fear, practices you can employ right away to help get you outside your comfort zone more often, and much, much more. Let's take a quick inventory. Do you feel comfortable delivering bad news? Do you look forward to speaking in public? Do you enjoy networking? Is it easy for you to speak your mind and be assertive with friends and colleagues? Well, if you answered no to any of those questions, then Andy's book is designed to help. This guide from Andy is based not only on his groundbreaking research, but also on his quest to get out of his own comfort zone. Reach can help anybody, Andy says, take the thing they are most afraid of doing and make it a proud part of their personal repertoire. Well, if you've heard me before talk about cloud accounting software FreshBooks and that one-month free trial, and you've yet to take advantage of it, then it's time for you to step outside your comfort zone and pull the trigger. You have absolutely nothing to fear here, nothing to lose, and everything to gain, because during this month-long free trial from FreshBooks, you get access to all of FreshBooks features. As you may have heard, I'm a satisfied customer as I've been using FreshBooks cloud accounting software for about eight years. The new version, which came out in September, has been redesigned from the ground up and custom built for exactly the way you and I work. If you're looking for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and get paid faster, well, then FreshBooks is for you. It's easy to use, and it's also packed full of Powerful features like creating your own invoices in record time, setting up online payments so you can get paid faster, being able to see when a client has viewed an invoice and eliminate all the guessing games. Again, FreshBooks right now offering that 30-day unrestricted free trial. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. Again, that's freshbooks.com slash read to lead. 
Andy Malinsky is an award-winning author and professor of psychology and organizational behavior at Brandeis University's International Business School, where he specializes in behavior change and cross-cultural interaction in business settings. Sounds really important. <laughs> and he writes regularly for the Harvard Business Review, Inc., and Psychology Today. And his work has been featured in the New York Times, The Economist, Fast Company, Fortune, Financial Times, The Boston Globe, and NPR. And fortunately for us, he is also the author of a brand new book out today, officially, called Reach, a new strategy to help you step outside your comfort zone, rise to the challenge, and build confidence. I'm excited to have him here. Andy, welcome to Read to Lead. Jeff, I am very excited to be here. Well, uh, I was doing research for a book of my own for later this year, and I had honed in on a title called The Discomfort Zone. I put that phrase into a search in Amazon, and Reach was one of the books that popped up in the search as being similarly themed. And lo and behold, two days later, I get an email from Andy about a desire to be on the show. And I'm like, this is the guy whose book showed up in my search for the, for the book that I wanted to write. And then Andy and I talk further, and I find out that he's got a, a column in ink called The Discomfort Zone. So this is, it was like just all these weird similarities. And then I'm reading your book and I see that you used to be a tennis instructor. And, and though I, I was never an instructor, tennis was like the only sport I was ever any good at. I was the most valuable player on my team. Andy's a dog lover, as am I. And so it, it just goes on and on and on and on and on. So uh, with that, I'll jump in here to the first question, Andy. Uh, and you need to know that, that uh, at least in my opinion, I think Andy is, is fantastic at, at labeling things. And, and Andy, it was very eye-opening to me as I read the first chapter about the, the five core psychological barriers that we often face when we're trying to act outside our comfort zones. I certainly identified with a couple. Share, if you would, uh, a bit about each one of these. Sure. Yeah, it's funny. I just want to, as you were talking about labeling, I, it, it just struck me. Um, so when I was doing my PhD in graduate school and, and you know, I was heavily steeped in academics, I always I always peaked at books like like the one I just wrote <laughs> with, uh, you know, and, and, and with, with different labels. And some of those books had the, you know, the five P's of leadership or right. the seven T's of creativity or something like that. And I always, I remember how a long time ago I felt it was silly in some ways, but <laughs> You know, it's funny because my view on that has really changed is I've seen the power of labels. Now, the labels we'll talk about in a second don't all have the same first letter, uh, although the ones later in the book do. That's right. <laughs> but, that's right. Uh, <laughs> but I think labels are really important and, and, and powerful and for us to have language to capture our experiences. I, mm. I found working with people trying to step outside their comfort zone that it's actually quite important for them to be able to name what they're struggling with. It, 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 it puts something just that much bit more in control mm. and, and, and it helps them sort of on the pathway towards figuring out a solution to um, stepping outside their comfort zone. So I actually think labels are really important, having that, that, that language, being able to distill something that is pretty complex into something that's simple but not simplistic. Mm. So, so, so yes, um, there, there are five core psychological barriers I found uh, in my work um, understanding the challenges of stepping outside your comfort zone across professions. These are entrepreneurs, mm. business people, executives, but you know, priests, rabbis, goat farmers, um, you, you name it. Um, <laughs> uh, the first one was authenticity. The authenticity challenge, the idea that when I'm stepping outside my comfort zone, this doesn't feel like me. I feel like an imposter mm. speaking in front of a meeting or you know, putting up 
putting on my grown-up voice to pitch to venture <laughs> capitalists. So a second one was um, competence. Just the feeling deep down that as you're stepping into a new role, a new behavior, something outside your comfort zone, the feeling that, that deep down you don't feel that you're good at this and you have the feeling that that's pretty obvious. <laughs> and that is deeply uncomfortable. Another one is likability. And this one was interesting. I, I really found this to be resonant in my research. Um, the idea that people are afraid that others won't like this new version of mm. themselves, that the, they'll, you know, that, that if I act assertively in this situation, which is outside my comfort zone, outside my sort of go to way of acting, people aren't going to like me. They're gonna, they, they might even hate me. <laughs> You know, and by the way, these challenges are, um, aren't always logical, and even the people who experience them don't might, might say logically, I shouldn't worry about likability. Mm-hmm. Logically, you know, but but it's really more psychologically. So you've got uh, authenticity, competence, likability. There were two more. Uh, the fourth one was what I call resentment. The idea that some people felt frustrated that they had to step outside their comfort zone in the first place, as in, you know, why can't my, you know, the regular way I act be good enough? Mm-hmm. And then finally, the last one was morality. In certain cases, people felt that stepping outside their comfort zone was against their ethics or morals. Now, of course, as, as you know from reading the book, it's not that you experience every one of these in every situation right. that you're stepping outside your comfort zone, but even one of them or two of them can, can make it pretty tough. Well, I know for me personally, the, the two I identified with the most were the likability challenge and the competence challenge. And if memory serves from, from reading the book, uh, the competence challenge was also a, a one of struggle uh, for you. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Authenticity, too. Frankly, like all of them. <laughs> <laughs> At one time or another. Right? <laughs> At one time or another. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure about morality for me as, as much, but you know that that's happened when I've had to deliver bad news. But mm. for sure, um, the experience that this, is, that this is not me. I talk in the book about my experience of becoming a teacher stepping in front of a classroom, an MBA classroom, people much more, at the time at least, much more experienced than I was, not that much younger than I was. Or in other words, I was close to their age. Becoming an author in this world, you know, I was a bit naive with my first book, which was which came out about four years ago. You know, I thought that you, you, know, you press send on your computer and voila, you know, everyone's <laughs> interested in your book and reading it. But no, obviously, it's almost you have to become your own PR firm, you know, and, and, and there's something a little unsavory about it, I have to admit, mm. you know, I, I feel every time I press that button to send a tweet or a post or something, you know, in some ways, essentially saying how great I am, it feels really <laughs> uncomfortable. I mean, it just does. So, you know, there's likability right there and so on. So I, I, I felt all of them, you know, the subtext of the book, you might think that, you know, I wrote a book about acting outside your comfort zone, how to do it better. And maybe you think that I'm supposed to be great at it, but I am definitely not. And, you know, I, I hope that that allows me to kind of empathize with others because <laughs> I'm, I'm no expert. <laughs> well, now that you share that, I realize I too have struggled with uh, the morality challenge. Uh, I think at times uh, I was just telling somebody last week, having just launched uh, the Read to Lead University Book Club. And there was like, why, why is it taking you three and a half years to do this? It seemed like such an obvious thing. There's, there's a part of me that's uncomfortable with the idea of asking my listeners to, to pay for something that I've created. <laughs> it's just, I, I'm not comfortable with that. And so it's taken me a long time to, uh, to get over that. So yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm there. <laughs> well, and we'll get, we'll get to it, I think, about how to overcome these. You know, I yeah. mean, I think these are really, these are human, these are human challenges. And, mm. but, but, but when you're, 
kind of shooting for something in life and your work that you care about, these can get in the way, but they, they shouldn't overwhelm you. And that's right. kind of the point of the book. Yeah. Well, before we get to that, I, I want to have you share a bit about as we as humans go out of our way, go to great lengths to avoid these uncomfortable situations. What are the what are some of the tactics that that we tend to use? Yeah, a lot of different ones. <laughs> Again, me being one of the greatest culprits here too. Uh, you know, in 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 of course, the, you know, there's a good and bad of avoidance, right? Mm. The 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 good is relief. Uh, you avoid that stressful thing, and whew, you don't have to do it, right? But but it does, of course, make it hard to grow and develop over time, and 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 you know, the next time will be even harder. So, so so how do we avoid? Um, you know, in some cases, we simply avoid, like we avoid the thing altogether. We say no to, a, to, to the opportunity to give a speech, you know, because we're afraid to speak in public and we simply decline. So that, that's the most obvious. So, sometimes we avoid by doing a task only only part way. Uh, you see this a lot with delivering bad news. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you deliver only pa- part of the negative message. I think there's, there's probably been some very funny sitcoms <laughs> that, that have been oriented around, you know, <laughs> Someone breaking up with someone, you know, a romantic partner, mm. the the other person actually not getting the message <laughs> right. because, because it's, you know, just kind of half a message. Um, another one, another example might be having someone else do a task that you, you probably should be the one to do. You know, I, I talk with some small business owners, for example, who were very uncomfortable going to networking events and, you know, pitching and promoting their product. You know, the same thing you just talked about in some ways, asking someone to buy something. A lot of people feel uncomfortable about that. Even people who own companies where that's kind of the point. Uh, and, uh, and so they would send their assistant who was less qualified and, and really wasn't representing the business and wasn't going to be able to really advance the business in the way that the person needed it to be. But, you know, he or she just felt uncomfortable about it. You know, s- some people procrastinate. We all, probably all of us do on, on some level. A lot of entrepreneurs I spoke with would tinker and mm-hmm. tinker and tinker and tinker. And it, we're, we're in the world of entrepreneurship and in sort of putting ideas out in the world. There's this, I think the best practice is to put out beta version one, get feedback at beta version two, get feedback, beta version three. Do you know what I mean? There's a, it's kind of the opposite of procrastination. It's putting it out there, being vulnerable to the feedback mm. and sort of, um, you know, changing and adapting based on it and then putting it out there again. But a lot of people are very uncomfortable with that and would sort of tinker and justify and say, nope, 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 I I, got to get it right. Um, And and, and ultimately, it's really avoiding. And and then finally, the last one would be rationalizing. It's not that important that I uh, do whatever. It's not that important (laughs) that I go network or it's not that important that I make small talk in this situation. or It's not that important that I speak up at a meeting. You know, I'm sure I'm I'm sure my points will be raised by someone else. <laughs> yeah, we, we do it. All. And by the way, I'll say one last word is that it's in a, in, you know, in the book, I have a lot of examples from pretty famous people in the book too. And it's not to kind of try to make the book sexier and mm. so on, but it's, it's my, my idea for putting in famous, well-known people is to kind of normalize these things. Like it's not, you know, it's, it's not just you that does these things. It's Richard <laughs> Branson and, you know, Natalie Portman and all these others. So yeah, uh, the, the one that was a surprise to me was Hugh Grant and some of the anxiety that he deals with when, when he's in the midst of, of acting. I felt, I, yeah, I felt, I felt awful for him when you read about mm. the, he's, he has panic attacks, yeah. um, stepping, stepping on stage, which is, you know, it's, it's, that's quite an Achilles heel for a professional <laughs> actor, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So, 
And so you get this this short-term comfort uh, when you successfully avoid having to deal with these situations. But uh, shed some light, Andy, on on the inevitable pitfalls that we face when we consistently avoid ever confronting our fear. I think you call it the uh, the paradox of avoidance. Yeah, it's like it's um it's really the idea that imagine you're afraid of a snake mm. and and you avoid snakes and the next time you confront a snake, it's probably going to be that much harder. And then you avoid again, and then it's going to be that much harder. And, you know, make, make the snake a metaphor for whatever situation you're talking about. And I, th- I think the, 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 the better way is, is to start to approach. That approach doesn't have to be, you know, hanging out for a day with a snake around your neck, <laughs> so, so, so to speak, right? But, but there are little steps that you can take. But by going backwards instead of forwards, it just creates a vicious cycle. And it becomes even harder and harder and harder to step outside your comfort zone. So that, that, that's what I mean. That used to be the case for me when it came to public speaking, despite the fact that I've spent decades in radio and, uh, and whatnot and you know, talking to thousands of people at, at, at any given moment when I turn on the microphone. I couldn't see those people. And so I could hide behind the microphone. And so anytime I found myself in a public speaking situation or offered that opportunity, I avoided it. And I found that each time I avoided it, with each new inevitable invitation that came, the fear would be greater. Now, thankfully, I'm past that, but but I I, I can see that in many that's just one in many examples in my own life. I'm in the same boat on that one actually, mm-hmm. and I think what what's probably helped me in that particular situation is um is my job, frankly. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm you know if if you're a doctor and you're squeamish around blood. And you have to constantly perform procedure, procedures. You're either going to somehow get over it, or you're going to probably leave the profession. <laughs> right. you know? For for me, I, I teach multiple times a week, so hmm. over 15 years. It's but but I feel I I, I completely agree with you. And, and there is something different about the real life experience of speaking in front of people. So and I, th- I imagine a lot of people listening have that fear as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, two more things that that Andy and I have in common. It was the the fear at one point of public speaking. And also, I taught in a university last year for the first time. More similarities between Andy and I. Mm. <laughs> well, Andy says that in order to more uh, consistently reach outside our coverage zone, we've got to leverage three critical resources. And this is where Andy employs the cheesy mechanism of starting every word with the same letter. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I hear you. It's actually, just, it makes it memorable. <laughs> it does. It does. The first of the three of these is conviction. Uh, having a deep sense of of purpose. So let's start with that one, Andy. Explain how uh, conviction helps us do the hard things. Yeah, so this is essential. My research took me across multiple professions, as I as I spoke before, S- some of which were interviews, some of which were real life. For instance, when I was doing interviews with police officers, evicting people from their homes, I did a ride along in a, in a, in a police car for, for a day, mm. performing 20 evictions. So, and I also have a, um, I, I didn't mention, maybe I mentioned the book, I'm not sure, but I have a, a living laboratory at Brandeis International Business School where I teach, where I have MBAs every year going off and diving into these situations outside their comfort zone and I get to study their experiences. I feel like what I'm saying now, despite the <laughs> admitted cheesiness of, of the same letter, you know, to be honest, it, it, there is a real depth to this, even though I'm trying to make it simplistic so that people can use it. Mm. So conviction. Imagine you're considering approaching something that you are afraid of doing, you know, whether it's making small talk, whether it's speaking up at a meeting, whether it's being more assertive than you're comfortable with, whether it's public speaking, whatever it is. 
it is essential to have a deep sense of purpose. Uh, I, I sometimes talk about it as is the ability to give your, yourself psychological permission to, to, to go off and do it. It's it's like an antidote to avoidance. You know, it, it doesn't conviction doesn't erase discomfort, but it gives you the motivation that wind at your back, the sense of purpose to fight through, and, and that can come from many different sources. You, you know, for, for everyone, it's different. For, for some people, it might be this is the right thing for me to do mm. at this point in my life. Or, you know, I absolutely have to do this, you know, if I want to achieve my goals, whether those are personal goals, whether those are professional goals, whether it's a combination. That source of conviction could be that I know I'll feel good about myself if I do this. I just know that. Or, or for some people, it, it might be um, that, that this will enable me to help others and make a difference in the world in, in some way. And, and that that's the source of motivation. Whatever it is, it is, I found it essential uh, across all these contexts, across all these people. It just popped up time and time again is a, is a critical resource for stepping outside your comfort mm. zone. So that's conviction. The second one, uh, Andy says, is customization or finding your own personal way of performing a task. So d- describe, Andy, what this looks like in this context. So customization is, is almost like putting your own personal spin on a on a behavior, and I think it's it's interesting because when people are stepping into a situation outside their comfort zone, they, I I find they often me off me too feel feel powerless in a, in a way, right? Where it, it it can be overwhelming to to a greater or lesser degree, but I think customization puts the power back in your hands. There are small but meaningful ways that you can sort of tweak or customize a situation to your liking. It's almost like going to the coffee store and putting that shot of caramel swirl mm. in, uh, into your espresso or you know <laughs> whatever it might be so, so for example it could be changing your body language it could be bringing a prop a subtle prop to the situation wearing that power suit bringing that lucky charm hmm. it could be staging the context in some way for instance if it is a public speaking opportunity maybe you know you're more comfortable in a Q&A than giving a formal speech hmm. uh, if it might be bringing a friend that would be also sort of staging the context or a prop almost, right, to a networking situation. It, it might be that you can somehow play with time a little bit. Let's say you're afraid of, you know, making small talk and networking in a large networking event. You know, chances are if you arrive very early to that event, the event won't be as large. It won't be as intimidating at first. And so you can almost leverage that to have it to, to change a eventually very big event into a, at the beginning, smaller event. Mm. Um, some people change their language. They script out a way of saying something or at least the first few words of something that enables them to sort of get, you know, to, to, to step into the situation and then sort of find themselves in it. So my point is that just like an actor does on stage, and this isn't acting per se, because you're still trying to be authentic. In fact, this is a way of becoming even more authentic because you're bringing a little bit of yourself to it. Mm, yeah, I, uh, it reminds me of what uh, Michael Port talks a bit about. He's uh, I don't know if you know Michael. He's got an acting background and wrote a book called Steal the Show, and he brings in acting techniques into public speaking, but there is an authenticity in that for sure. That's interesting. I, I actually find that that a lot of actors talk about bringing authenticity to a role mm-hmm. as, as, as critical for, for ultimately, you know, both feeling inside that it's believable and having it be believable to others. So mm-hmm. that doesn't surprise me. That's cool. Well, last one is is clarity or or the power of honest perspective. So what does this look like in practice, Andy? Clarity is something, of course, we all want, right? But how do we how do we make it happen? 
So in this context, I think clarity is that I think a lot of us fall off the deep end in these situations. <laughs> we, we, we sort of like kind of catastrophize, I would say, you know, we think that it's, it's going to be, it's, we're going to be awful. We're going to be the worst ever, or we can almost sometimes go to the opposite extreme and say, I'm only willing to do this if I'm the best ever, if I'm mm. a prodigy. I think our sort of our, our thinking, our anxiety brings our perspective out of whack in these situations outside our comfort zone. And I, I did find in, in, for, for a lot of people, it was critical to kind of like normalize in a sense to kind of have a perspective on the situation that for instance, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be perfect and no one is when they step into a new situation and, you know, I'll probably fumble a bit, but you know, I might be better than I expect and I'll bet you I'll learn a lot. And next time around, I'll be a little bit better. You know, that kind of like middle range thinking mm. that, that, that's what I mean by clarity. Well, we talked earlier about the paradox of avoidance and how as you avoid something, the fear can can grow over time. On the other end of that is what your research has uncovered toward the idea of just giving it a try. Talk about some of the discoveries that you've uncovered along, along the way. It sounds simple. But that is what the entire book is geared towards, <laughs> helping you understand the challenges you face, applying these the three C's that I talked about, the customization, the, the clarity, and the mm-hmm. conviction. And if that can push you and nudge you, um, I was about to say over the cliff, but I don't want you to think about it that way, <laughs> uh, into a situation. What I found and what I find, actually, both in my own life and also with the people I work with and the people I studied, there, there, there are two major discoveries people often find. Number one, this isn't as scary as I thought it was. And number two, I'm actually better at this than I thought I was. <laughs> You know, it's sort of like sometimes when I think about this, I think I have two kids, young kids. I think about them going to get their shot at the doctor's office Mm. and, you know, how terrifying it is in anticipation. And then they go in and they're more they feel more capable. Oh, wait, I could do this. That wasn't that hard. Is it over? (laughs) Right. And it wasn't as bad as they thought. I mean, again, a metaphor. But, you know, it's really powerful because the reason that that's powerful is that that then can kick in a what I would call a virtuous cycle. Mm. We talked about the vicious cycle before. about how avoidance leads to more anxiety, which then leads to more avoidance, which then leads to more anxiety, this sort of vicious spiral. Mm. When, you, when you actually nudge yourself to take it to, to kind of go for it and try it and have some version of these discoveries and probably realize it's not as bad as you thought, it pushes you likely to try it again. And that kicks in a virtuous spiral, which is critical. Well, so how do we, let's talk about how we make it all stick. We'll move to part three of the book, Andy. Are there some specific practices that we can implement to help us develop these skills over time? Having a, having a thoughtful practice routine, really integrating it and making it part of your normal. For me, teaching and public speaking, it, it, it was integrated into my life, but that's mm. not true for everybody. So to make sure that you have some form of a, of a thoughtful practice routine where you're not going to step into the most difficult possible situations ever in your situation, but mm. you can sort of grow into them over time, right? If you're afraid of networking, let's say, and your ultimate goal is to be able to go to that big conference, 
maybe, maybe you don't start out at that big conference. Maybe you start smaller and build up over time. You know, and you can apply that to whatever situation is. Um, I think forcing mechanisms are key. Creating them for yourself, have you know, committing to them. I think that's why public commitments are are end up being quite powerful to try to nudge yourself towards a situation. You know, in internally, I find another key thing for making something stick is is to do what you can to develop a learning orientation in your behavior. Carol Dweck, who's a psychologist from Stanford, she she talks about the idea of developing a learning orientation. In other words, when when you have that inevitable inevitable faux pas or slip up, you know, how do you see that? Do you see that as oh yes, just more evidence about how fail how much of a failure I am? Right. That that's that by the way is not a learning <laughs> orientation. A learning orientation would be more let you know, huh? Well, that's just part of the learning process, and let's see what I can learn from that, and then you know, sort of go forward on my journey. And, and then finally, I, I would say um, some form of a healthy support system. That that differs for everybody. It could be a mentor, it could be a colleague, it could be a coach, it could be a therapist, it could be a uh, a spouse, mm. it could be a group of friends. Whatever it is, I think that that's really important as well. Some combination of these, you know, to to give us that safety net when we fall, to nudge us forward and to have the right mindset. Well, let's wrap up the book discussion, Andy, by having you compare and contrast some of the myths and realities that you often see in your line of work. I know one of the myths is that all it takes to step outside your comfort zone is to just take the leap. What's the reality in that case? Well, I think that um, this is an example of people watching others from the outside and seeing their their highlight reels and then comparing them to their own internal turmoil <laughs> you know we are, we have the greatest sort of insight into our own worries our own lives our own struggles and we often don't have that when we look at others and we see people taking that leap and say to us say to ourselves huh that's all it takes, taking a leap, huh? How come I'm not able to do that? But the reality is, is that few people spontaneously just leap into these situations. If you think about it, it is usually a a result of considerable thinking and deliberation and application of the tools that I talked about before and small steps and maybe even it's not a linear process. Maybe it's mm. one step forward, two steps back, but ultimately over time you're able to do it. So I think I think it's sort of when you go on the internet and type in comfort zone and see fishes leaping out of fish bowls, I think it <laughs> I think it's a little bit deflating when people think that, oh, that's what it takes. You know, it, it sounds inspirational in the moment, but it's often difficult to apply that. But I don't think that's the reality. I like what John Acuff says uh, about this this topic. He says, be careful not to compare your beginning with, with someone else's middle. Highlight reels are, is a part of that as well. Uh, another myth is that the magic only happens outside your comfort zone. This is, I tend to lean this way and, and <laughs> I, I haven't you know bought into that 100%, but I'm in danger of doing that. So talk me out of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think that, I think magic in the sense of growth, and learning and development does, of course, come outside, you know, from stepping outside your comfort zone. That's, That's kind of the point of the book. But I don't want people to feel that they should be stepping outside their comfort zone in every possible situation, every possible circumstance, and in every possible point in their lives. Mm. You know, I I talk in the book about how earlier in my career, I I always wanted to speak and and write and, and do work, consulting and training and so on for a general audience. But, you know, I was in the throes of trying to get tenure in an Mm. academic setting. And that is really rough, I have to tell you, (laughs) you know, and you have to like, oh, and and on top of it, I had a newborn. Mm. And, uh, and, and so, 
it was just not the time for me to step outside my comfort zone. I was barely like keeping it together. <laughs> and I think that, uh, I think that's true for a lot of us, you know, that timing makes a difference. I talk with some people who, business owners and so on, who didn't have the skills they needed in a particular arena. So for instance, a small business owner who was great with a product, but not great at sales. Mm. Now he could have tried to step outside his comfort zone to, to, to become a better salesperson. Ultimately it was something he probably wanted to do, but you know, he, he was, he was fighting against competition and there was a, there was a time dimension there too. And in the end, his solution was actually to hire someone who was good at sales. <laughs> and you see a lot of partnerships over, to, you know, in, in business come from that where, you know, you, you hire, someone who has complementary skills and strengths as you do it you know so so maybe that wouldn't be a case my, my point here is that we all have portfolios so to speak of situations mm. in our lives so some of them we might want to stay in our comfort zone and others we you know would probably be good candidates for stepping outside Th- that that's my pitch i don't mm. know did that worked for you it did it did <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> Well, I have a couple of questions to ask you, Andy, that aren't directly related to the book. But before I do that, is there anything else from the book you want to make sure we know? I know we've been uh, fairly thorough so far. No, I, th- I think this is this is great. Um, I, I want people to to realize uh, that this is, and I and I hope you'd agree, a, a really user friendly book. Mm. Um, and in my goal is for people to be able to pick up this book and immediately apply it to their lives. So. Yeah. You know, th- that's my goal. I think uh, quite highly of it and have gotten a lot out of it in the few days that I've owned it and, and looking forward to sharing it with, with everyone I know. That's great. I appreciate that. Well, speaking of, of books, uh, let's have you think about maybe a, a one or two or three uh, that you have enjoyed over the years, those books that have had a big impact on you. You mentioned Carol Dweck's uh, work earlier. Maybe that's one of them. How have those books impacted you as well when you think about those two or three? I think early in my career, I was very inspired by Deborah Tannen's books. She was one of the very first academics who crossed over and wrote very popular mass media types of books. Mm. One of them was called You Just Don't Understand How Men and Women Communicate. They came out a, you know, quite a while ago, maybe in the early 90s, and I was mm. just so inspired by them. They're great books. Mm. They take social science. They make it incredibly understandable with rich stories and descriptions. I just was very inspired by those books very early in my career. And I guess the the other books that I would mention that I really have enjoyed, and, and we're, I guess we're talking nonfiction here, would be um, Difficult Conversations and Getting to Yes. Those are, mm. I love those books. They're written by Doug Stone, Sheila uh, Heen, and Roger Fisher also, of course, with, with Getting to Yes. They're about negotiation and how to have difficult conversations. And what I love about those books is they take complex, and this is sort of what I aspire to as well, taking complex topics, but making them simple, and again, not simplistic, but simple in usable and memorable and and very actionable and I just love those books. If you go into my office, you'll see, especially the difficult conversations one, it looks, it almost looks like I've eaten it. <laughs> that's, that's kind of like how, how worn it is. <laughs> so. That's the first time I've heard it described quite that way. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, we talked a bit about public speaking uh, and something now that, that you, you find yourself doing on a regular basis, maybe something that was a struggle early on. What are some tips uh, in that space that you can share for helping us get better at delivering delivering uh, impactful and, and memorable talks. Sure. And I've thought a lot about this. So I would say one tip I have, it'll sound a little provocative, but I actually <laughs> believe it is do not watch TED Talks for inspiration. <laughs> do not. <laughs> I, I remember I early on, 
on when I was starting to give talks, I was given advice by someone who I very much respect, you know, to watch the very best TED speakers and sort of mimic them or copy them. And mm. I have to tell you, that was an incredibly unhelpful and intimidating <laughs> experience. <laughs> you know, what I discovered, and this was like the, this is the major epiphany that I have discovered about public speaking, is that the key to learning to speak in public isn't to become the best public speaker, mm. or in the case of TED Talks, to mimic the best public speaker. The, the key is to do what you can to bring your best self to public speaking. That's the key, which is very different if you think about it. And so TED Talkers might tell these great personal stories and have minimalist slides and so on, but, you know, that might not be your thing. That might not be the best way for you to be present and authentic in yourself in the situation. So that that would be one piece of advice. Um, I guess the other key piece of advice I would say is I think most, and I've read a lot of public speaking advice out there, which focuses outward, mm. you know, on the impression you're creating on others. But, you know, I would I would spend more of your time focusing inward. We talked about conviction earlier. Find your source of conviction for public speaking if it's outside your comfort zone. Why is it meaningful to you? Mm. Like, what's in it for you? Why are you doing it? If you can sort of own that, and for me, it's always about making a difference, s- spreading the word. I'm proud about my book reach. I'm, you know, really proud about the ideas. I really think it can help people and I want to spread the word. And and so that's, for me, that's, that's where it comes from. But, you know, for you it might, or for anyone, it might be different, but, mm. you know, focus inward though, though most of the advice on public speaking is the opposite. Yeah. Well, I know that the book is coming out uh, today, January 24th, the day we're releasing uh, this episode. Uh, but I do want to ask you if you know, what are you working on next? What's on the horizon or is it just going to be book promotion for the first book? that uncomfortable thing of book promotion? <laughs> well, we'll call it spreading the word. Uh, it's, you know, the, the, the one thing that I have thought about is, you know, I really want to reach as many people as I can with this with this book and these ideas. So it will be spreading the word about reach, really trying to talk to and reach as many people as I can. I really want to hear from readers and so on. And I guess a next step might be creating, you know, some additional tools and, and training to, to reach an even wider audience, mm. you know, that, that maybe isn't even in book form. So I'm, I'm sort of toying with that. But to be honest, I'm super focused on, on the book right now. And of course, in, in the farther future, definitely another book. I, I love writing. So that's mm. that's there's no question that's in my future. Well, the book, again, is Reach, a new strategy to help you step outside your comfort zone, rise to the challenge and build confidence. And I highly recommend it. It's the book I would have written were I a lot smarter. Uh, <laughs> Andy, thank you so much for for being on the show. Really appreciate having you here. It was fun, Jeff. Thank you. Grab Andy's book right now just by going to readtoleadpodcast.com slash 156 for episode 156. That's where you'll find links as well to all the resources and other books that Andy and I spoke about today. Again, that's readtoleadpodcast.com slash 156. I encourage you as well to connect with Andy on social media. In most spaces, you can find him via his name. Again, it's Andy Malinsky, M-O-L-I-N-S-K-Y. You may have heard that announcement in the podcast feed about the Read to Lead University Book Club. We were looking for 50 charter members to kick off the new Read to Lead Book Club. And all 50 of those spots, I'm happy to announce, have been filled. And we're going to kick that off February 
one. You'll have a chance if you missed your opportunity to register for the Read to Lead University Book Club in just a few weeks. So if you missed this first group, you'll have another chance very, very soon. In the meantime, you can add your name to the waiting list. You can either go to readtoleaduniversity.com and enter your email address at the top of the page or in the States or in the States, you can simply text the word university to 33444. We've had a barrage of recent ratings and reviews in iTunes and elsewhere for the podcast. All of them, okay, most of them, five stars. Thanks to John, who says he's grateful for the authors that come on the show and the conversations that come through it. Thanks, John. Tamaru from Ethiopia has simply two words for the podcast, the best. Thanks, Tamaru. And Sage gives it five stars, saying, Love the real and helpful conversations here. As a newer author myself and forever a lover of books, this podcast rocks. Thanks, Sage. If you'd like to leave a rating and written review, you can do that in iTunes or Stitcher. Readtoleadpodcast.com slash iTunes or readtoleadpodcast.com slash Stitcher. Well, that's going to do it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time for the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Oh, 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 oh,